0: It's really the proportion of foreign science and engineering doctoral recipients who receive their doctorates from U.S. institutions that are in the U.S., and we usually look at a particular time period, either five or 10 or 15 years after graduation. So what proportion of foreign nationals who came to the U.S. to get a PhD in STEM five years later after that degree are still in the U.S., or 10 years after that degree are still in the U.S.? So we would call that a five-year stay rate or a 10-year stay rate.
1: This is the ORISE feature Cast a special edition of Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Join your hosts, Michael and Jenna, for conversations with ORISE Research Program participants and their mentors as they talk about their experiences and how they are helping shape the future of science. Welcome to the ORISE Cast.
2: Welcome to another edition of the ORISE Cast. I'm your host, Michael Holtz, with my co-host.
0: Jenna Harpinel.
2: We are really excited to have with us today Leanne Pennington and Mike Finn, to talk about foreign national stay rates. And we'll go into more detail about what those four words mean. But first, Leanne and Mike, will you introduce yourselves? Tell us who you are.
0: Sure. So uh, I am, I'm Leanne, and I, uh, my training is in economics, specifically labor economics. But, so I've spent a part of my career studying the pipeline for science and engineers but I've also spent a part of my career at, uh, as a program manager for science and engineering workforce development programs. Okay. And as part of that, doing some program assessment and evaluation, which all ties into measuring the pipeline for scientists and engineers. So it's it's a nice package to have done all of those things here at OREU.
2: Great. Awesome. And Mike, tell us who you are.
1: Um, well, I um, I started at OREU in 1976, and I'm now retired, but I I was an economist all that time. And um, I had previously uh, gotten a PhD in economics and uh, taught a little at um, Ohio State University. But uh, I was more interested in uh, applied research. And uh, I found that uh, that worked out at ORU. Uh, I was able to do that. Things that probably you wouldn't be doing if you were in an academic setting. And I enjoyed that. So I worked in the same unit for all those years, 39 years, I think, before I uh, took retirement status. And um, and I worked with Leanne for um, uh, all the time that she's been there. I think that's about 20 years, isn't it, or more?
0: No. Wow. <laughs> Closer to 30. Time's <laughs> <laughs> <plus. laughs>
2: One of the things I love about this podcast is we always learn about something new that we do in the organization yeah. that we didn't really know was being done, yeah. like this. I mean, how did we get started in tracking, measuring what we call the foreign national state rate?
1: Well, it's kind of interesting. Back in the 70s, we had a big um, oil price increase and we started the Department of Energy. And that's when they hired me to come in and some others. And we were doing—we had a group that was doing what they called then manpower research for the uh, Department of Energy. And they were interested in making big investments in a lot of different energy technologies. And they, they wanted us to uh, assess the adequacy of the existing uh, human resources and whether there would be enough people trained in specialized areas in order to uh, carry out these plans for whatever it was, nuclear, coal, solar, all these things that they needed to expand. And um, so we were doing studies trying to look into the future. So what if they uh, put a big investment in magnetic fusion energy and what What are the needs going to be and are we training enough people in that area? And uh, when I started working on this, I realized that, uh, gosh, in engineering, I'm at least a third of the new PhDs were foreign nationals. And uh we didn't have any information about what whether they stayed in the- United States or not, that the government didn't collect that information and um so i was I tried to figure out a way to do it, and um, it really is broader issue than the Department of Energy. so I initially got some funding from the National Science Foundation and from the Sloan Foundation. Uh, to get started on this topic, and and then uh, the science foundation found it useful, and they've uh, they've been funding it ever since. Uh, one thing that I, I'm a little bit proud of is that uh, we kind of stuck with it, and uh, you know they don't come to us and say do this for us. We we have to submit proposals, and and um, I think that we managed to create a useful time series. So you know we not only measure what the stay rate is, but how has it changed over time, which is often relevant if people are, are concerned about, um, policy. Uh, for example, some people <clears throat> are concerned that there are restrictions. It's hard to get a visa and, uh, that the too many of these people are going home. Uh, so, um, you know, it's one thing to say that X percent of them are staying here, but if you can say, and this is how it changed over time, uh, you know, you may be able to allay some fears about uh, what's happening.
0: Great. You, you touched on it briefly. But, Ian, can you explain exactly what, a, what stay rate means What for those that might not know that are Absolutely. listening? Um Yeah, sure. Uh, I have a a sort of a simple, Mike will probably give a more elaborate, but I have a simple way of thinking about it, and it's really the proportion of foreign science and engineering doctoral recipients who receive their doctorates from U.S. institutions that are in the U.S., and we usually look at a particular time period, either 5 or 10 or 15 years after graduation. So what proportion of foreign nationals who came to the U.S. to get a Ph.D. in STEM five years later after that degree are still in the U.S. or 10 years after that degree are still in the U.S. So we would call that a five-year stay rate or a 10-year stay rate. Okay, great. And why is this so important? I mean, you know, we talked about, Mike gave us a quick rundown about how it got started, but in today's age, why, why is tracking the stay rates of these foreign nationals so important to us?
1: Uh, uh, let me uh, comment on that. Um, I <clears throat> You know, immigration uh, and immigration policy is a pretty big issue these days, and there's a lot of different ideas on what the government should be doing. And within the academic research, uh, there's even uh, some disagreement on how to measure the effects of immigration. But one thing that um, the economists can agree upon is that highly skilled immigration. The immigration of highly skilled people is good for the economy. And so I think that um, that's the main reason why it's important that, that everyone um, knows that the U.S. is generally better off if uh, after we spend a lot of resources training these people at American universities, if most of them stay here uh, to work in uh, our economy.
2: Because it essentially means that the talent is staying, at least for some period of time. Right. They're getting trained, they're staying here, and they're using the skills they learned
0: exactly. here
2: as opposed to
1: taking it back home. Right, or or maybe not staying. You know, uh, right. you know I'm old enough to, um, remember to have gone to school in the 1960s, and uh, back then... Uh, yeah, I think it's fair to say there was a concern about brain drain from the poor developing countries. And, uh, if you raise the issue back then, uh, most people, you know, in academia or government would say, Oh, we're concerned and we want these people to go back home and help their countries. But now many of these countries are our competitors like China and India, Brazil, et cetera. So maybe that explains why, uh we're more focused on keeping them rather than um, sending them back.
0: But also would add, I mean, really, I think most people think science is an international, a global enterprise, and requires global collaboration in, in the best case, if possible. And, you know, it may not be that it's a brain drain if if they, for that country, if they stay here, it may allow those fi- those people that come here from another country to connect better with folks, with researchers back in that country so that we can have more collaboration. So it's not always, I mean, I think there is another way to think about it and that it's good perhaps to maintain these people just so that we have connections to their home countries uh, and can collaborate in a more effective way if they're here, and can tie us to those resources.
2: Sort of expanding the partnerships. I mean, and that's possibilities. That's, that might
0: be a slightly more positive way, a positive spin, <laughs> or more thought in terms of how it connects to what OAAU does, which is you know try to develop the science and engineering pipeline here in the U.S. Um, you know, I think we, Mike and I have have articulated through the year how years how important it is to understand this component, and that plays into our programs. We can't project the pipeline if we don't know this large component of the pipeline and what percentage are staying here. So it feeds nicely into our workforce development programs here at ORU to make sure that we do this research and that we understand this important component component in the pipeline. So.
1: Uh, to Leanne's point about the brain drain, um, I should comment that we did some research a few years ago that helped us measure how many of these people, um, we're going back and forth. That is, when we say that a certain percentage, like 70% are staying here um, after 10 years, it doesn't necessarily mean that every one of them was here for every one of those 10 years. It means that 70% were here on year 10. But when we actually look at how the movement occurs, we find that significant numbers have left the country and come back and in addition to that kind of movement where the somebody might spend two years abroad and come back we also know that there are many particularly academics who might spend you know um, their summer in uh in another country or an academic year or or something like that so there's um there's that kind of movement and of course now with the internet uh there's a lot of collaboration where people don't even have to um to meet together face to face. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense.
2: So we're neither mathematicians <laughs> nor economists. <laughs> so how do you measure the stay rate? How do you how do you arrive at that data and that percentage?
1: Mike. Uh, okay, I, I'm going to uh, do half of this, and I'm going to give half of it to Leanne. When <laughs> we started. Uh, there wasn't a suitable survey that we could use to measure this, and we began to use administrative data. Uh, I discovered that um, the tax records maintained by the Social Security Administration would allow them to tell us, anybody if they chose to, uh, whether somebody was paying taxes. Well, of course, that's private information. They had information on both uh, FICA taxes, our Social Security Medicare, and um, and also on the from on the IRS 1040 forms. Well, obviously, this is highly sensitive information. But it, I discovered it's possible to ask them to give you summary information on a group of people. So if we could identify a group of people like people who got engineering degrees from us universities in a given year, and then ask five years later, uh, what proportion of that group are earning above some trivial level of income, then we could define that as a stay rate. Um, and, um, it was the trickiest thing was getting all the administrative stuff worked out because as you can imagine they they want to make sure that um there's no possible way that you would be able to see or infer any in information about any individual uh, sure. but yet you can mine the 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 confidential information for some broad statistical measures okay uh but that's not how we do it anymore <laughs> and um, and the uh now we use um, the a survey that the National Science Foundation conducts, and let me uh, let uh, Leanne talk about that since she's been doing the latest work with that.
0: sure so so as Mike mentioned, we had been doing something that was really very novel in tying uh, administrative data. Um, from two federal agencies. Basically, we started with who are the PhDs from foreign institutions that NSF collected from what they call the Survey Burn doctorate that every doctorate recipient completes when they get their degree. We tied that information based on social security number to these tax records at the Social Security Administration. Um, One more plug for Mike's innovation on that before we move to the next way, to the current way we're doing it, um, you know now there's a, a 2020 federal data strategy. It's really interesting reading. Uh, if you're interested in federal data collection, you can Google it, and it, it talks about using doing exactly what Mike did. It's making data a, a more leveraged asset for the for the country uh, and for taxpayers, and linking administrative data in ways that we don't have to continue to survey people and use data we already have. So Mike was really ahead of his time on this, and I think it's really It's interesting to now read this data plan, this data strategy that talks about doing some of the things we did so long ago. One of the problems that we've addressed currently with NSF National Science Foundation as the sponsor is that they stopped collecting full social security numbers in that survey of earned doctorates. And so it's more difficult for us to match with social security data. Uh, It is, uh, as a matter of fact, we have not gotten them to agree to to match on other ways because they wanna make sure the match is correct so we had to think creatively and there was another survey that was not a population but a sample survey done by the national science foundation called the survey of doctorate recipients that is a longitudinal study study of those that receive phds and does include foreign nationals uh, and in the last decade has included foreign nationals that even go home so it gave us another source of data to to measure at a point in time, typically every two years in February, where are you, are you in the United States uh, relative to when you got your degree five or 10 years ago. So same concept, uh, not the same data, still using an existing federal data set, not going out and collecting new data, Mm -hmm. but using an existing federal data set to estimate from a sample now rather than a population, the proportion that survey and respond to the question in February every two years that they're still in the US. So that's now how we're calculating stay rates. So we, we're doing some comparison to see that the two data trends compare um, so that we can transition to this new series, assuming that we can't get full socials. So um, it's it's an exciting time. Uh, so it gives us hope that we'll continue to do this, perhaps with a different data source, but we'll be able to continue our trend that we've established over the last 20 years on stay rates. Awesome.
1: So um, one more comment, um, um, you know, there's some. Um, Error in all all measurements of this type, government statistics, et cetera, and uh, we, we were very gratified when we had a few years where we had estimated the stay rate using both of these methods and found that they agreed almost perfectly. Uh, so when you take a totally different approach to measuring the phenomenon and you end up with the same number, it gives you a lot more confidence in uh, in the number that you generate. Definitely.
2: And I assume the National Science Foundation is very happy about
0: They're that. They're very
2: happy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Where we stand now with, I guess, the latest report, what is the percentage of foreign nationals that are staying in the United
1: States?
0: Mike, you want me to run through some numbers real quick?
1: Um, Well, I would say 70% would be the best number. That's the most recent uh, estimates have been up around there. And um, that has increased somewhat in the last 15 years. Uh, That's... It, today it's close to seventy percent for both the f- five and ten years after graduation the long term uh you know fifteen sixteen years may be a little lower but that may be um and that may catch up as well when we get you know the younger younger cohorts who are who have been here or or are old enough to have been here sixteen years but but um it's definitely increased over the last fifteen years and it's a above two thirds. Now that's people who are on temporary visas at the time of graduation. That's most foreign uh, people who are in getting doctorates. However, there are a few, maybe 10% of the PhD recipients who are foreigners with permanent uh, resident visas and they behave more like Americans they, uh nearly all of them stay.
0: Okay. Now, which countries and disciplines have the highest stay rates?
1: Uh, China and India have had the highest stay rates for a long time. Uh, Saudi Arabia (laughs) always has the lowest stay rates. I'm not sure why, but I'm guessing that if you get a PhD in science or engineering, you can get a pretty good job back home in Saudi Arabia.
0: specific for China and India. In 2017, we had a five-year stay rate of about 83% for both countries compared oh, wow. to this overall of about 70%. Um, so they were clearly showing higher stay rates. Uh, I'll mention South Korea is another country that uh, typically has pretty low stay rates. We were showing about 57% in 17, uh, one of the lower countries. Um, one of the disadvantages of the new data is we're not able to get as fine data on country. So we're, we're using larger country groupings, but we're still able to get these large countries. Uh, and South Korea is one that's showing a lower stay rate. Okay. Um, and then, in terms of disciplines, uh, you know it's not surprising that it's typically computer and math and engineering with high stay rates. In mm-hmm. um, a five-year stay rate in 2017, we were showing 78 percent for computer and math wow. uh, and 75 for engineering, again, compared to about 70 overall. Mm-hmm. And then social scientists uh, tend to go home mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> with a, a stay rate in the 50, 52 percent for right. social scientists. Uh, Mike, you want to add anything on disciplines?
1: No, I think that covers it. Um, I think the, all of the sciences are at or above average. It's really only the social sciences uh, that are significantly below the average.
0: Right. And, and one more thing about the, the countries with the high stay, stay rates. We are hearing some chatter in the news about the China and India stay rates that, that they are maybe going down some. Uh, And, you know, our data does show that, uh, you know, it is a very large group, so they have a large impact on the overall rate because there are lots of China and India uh, citizens that come to the U.S. to get PhDs in science and engineering. But um, just as an example, if we looked at a five-year rate for China and India, so China is going from about 93% in 2003 to 83% in 2017, and India is going from about 90% in 2003 to 83% eighty three percent in two thousand and seventeen so there we are seeing some some slowdown perhaps in the rate for China and India. Mike do you agree with that?
1: Yes, uh, and um there are people who are out there saying, you know we need to act quickly to make it easier for people to stay to get visas because um uh, this is happening uh, i don't find it alarming because um the overall stay rate hasn't gone down, it's gone up. And what we're seeing is a higher stay rates from countries like Brazil and Korea than, than we saw back 15 years ago. So in a sense, we're getting more diversified. Uh, they, the two largest countries are perhaps making up a little bit smaller share of the total, and we're getting more people from uh, some other countries This may sound like an obvious
2: question, and maybe it is, but if the overall stay rate has been on the increase, does that speak to more slash better opportunities for them to stay? I mean, again, I know that sounds obvious, but. Uh,
0: well, Well, clearly there, yes, clearly there's opportunities here. I mean. One of the things people are saying about China is that there are more opportunities back home for those folks as their um, research enterprise grows, which we know and India as well to some extent, but we know certainly China is booming in terms of their science and engineering and so there are more opportunities for them to go back so that may be just the opposite of what you've asked, yeah, opportunities is what keeps people there, but um, you know we hope there are more there are plenty of opportunities here right um, it, it seems like a lot are choosing to stay, but Mike your thoughts you know.
1: Well, there's, there's been some research on the broader question of, of you know, what causes people to stay uh, versus go, what, 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 what's influencing the stay rate. And as you can imagine, economists would focus on uh, factors in the home country versus factors here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And people have tried to measure that and explain it. And there's both economic factors and then, you know, quality of life, social, political issues and all these things. Uh, I don't think this research is very definitive, uh, but clearly that it seems that it's a balance of the the pull factors for being in the U.S. versus the the push factors for going back home, and the ease with which people can get visas in the US. Now, there's, it's not easy to get a permanent resident visa, even though you have a PhD in science or engineering. But there was a change a few years ago that made it easy to get a temporary visa for the first, I think it's three years. It's called optional practical training, I believe and it's now quite easy for foreign um phd or masters i think as well um uh recipients to uh get that first three-year visa and uh so that may be making it easier for them to get the longer term visa since they uh you know are able to get get started here quite quite easily okay that makes sense
2: Anything that um, you want to say about stay rates that have not we've not asked that we've not covered?
0: Well, I'll make two two things, uh, and then I'll turn it over to Mike to close. Uh, I just want to make sure that we mention that nearly all of this research, uh, at least uh, except for some in the early early years, has been funded by the National Science Foundation. Mm-hmm. And uh, where do you go to get more data? on stay rates, because there's a whole lot more data than we've been able to talk about here. There are two great sources. One is the National Science Foundation website. Uh, If you search 2020 science and engineering indicators, um, you'll see the science and engineering labor force report, and that has all the 2017, the most up-to-date data. The ORISE website has all the historical data with some great infographics. If you just go to the ORISE website and search workforce studies, you'll see all the stay rate data that we've done. Um, so there's lots of data. We'd love to take questions or anything further after. We've got contact information on the website. So. Fantastic. Awesome.
2: Mike, anything to close?
1: No, I'll just say give the questions to Leanne because I'm, <laughs> I'm uh, finally retired completely. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And I believe your contact information, Leanne, is on the website, or at least uh, in for economic studies or e- workforce studies. Yes,
0: and uh, Don Johnson's as well, who is uh, really over the workforce studies group. So.
2: Okay. Thank you both very much for being with us today Thank and you. shedding some light on foreign national stay rates and the research
1: and why it's important to what we do. Thanks. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to the O-Rise Cast. To learn more about the Oak Ridge Institute for Science and Education, visit orise.orau.gov or find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at oriseconnect.